Got my mic set up finally correctly. Yeah, it looks great. I'm hyped. I, I look like someone who knows what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I've seen lots of like streamers and stuff like knocking over their mic stands. They seem like they're just so <laughs> precarious. Like just breathing on them wrong is going to make them fall over. They're drunk. <laughs> I mean, this thing I will say, and I think I brought it up on the pod before, the toner, T-O-N-O-R mic stand that you can get on Amazon. It's like, it's one of the little cheapy ones yeah. you can get, but it's well rated. It's fine. My issue is I wish that the mic stand itself screwed into the base. Instead, it just sits in the base. So if it's sideways, it will fall out, guaranteed. Um, so that is my one complaint. I haven't, I should really one star them for that one minor technical thing that I don't like about <laughs> it. And shipping took an extra day. <laughs> Compadres, and welcome to episode 61 of Dads Talking Dads. This is a podcast about your favorite baseball team, the San Diego Padres. My name is Johnny, and I am joined by my fellow compadre, Joel. Joel, how are you doing? Johnny, I'm doing excellent. In fact, you might say I'm doing almost perfect. As you might have guessed, today we are going to be talking about the, as it's in the show notes, The Joe fucking Musgrove no-hitter. The JFMNH. But first, it's the number of the week, and the number of the week for this week is 112. Joel, would you like to take a stab at that one? I think I can end my drought of terrible number of the week performances here. I believe 112 is the number of pitches Joe Musgrove threw in the Joe fucking Musgrove no-hitter. I'm back! That is actually Chris Paddock's ERA plus in home night weekend games in domes since the All-Star break of 2019. You rattled that off so fast. <laughs> I kind of believe you. That was that was a, that was a very ESPN Sunday Night Baseball stat. <laughs> that we- <laughs> Absolutely. Uh no, that is in fact 112 pitches. Uh Joe Musgrove, San Diego native, specifically El Cajon, uh which is as, as a fellow El Cajon native, very, very exciting. Joe Musgrove last night threw the first no-hitter in Padres franchise history. They were the last team without a no-hitter in their record books, uh, but no longer. They blanked the Rangers 3-0. He almost had a perfect game, actually. Hit one batter, uh, struck out 10 Rangers over the course of the game and damn did it against an al team with a dh no pitcher spot there so that is a real that is a very legitimate no hitter so joel we'll we'll get into some fun stats and everything in a sec but first off what was your reaction where were you what were you doing how much did you scream (laughs) so i was sitting in bed um and what was it my younger son luke was about to take his shower and start getting ready for bed and the ninth inning came around it was bottom or top of the bottom of the ninth uh, cause it was in Texas, right? Um, 
And so I told Luke, I was like, well, hang on, don't, don't jump in the shower yet. This, this might be the first no hitter in, in Padres history and you, you can watch it. Um, and so James heard, and he normally is not a fan of watching sports with me. Um, but he actually came over and he watched too. Um, and so we, we watched the last three outs. I kind of involuntarily jumped up out of bed when it happened. Uh, I did let out a scream, but it didn't come out the way I thought it would. I haven't screamed in joy in a while. Uh, San Diegans like us aren't used to it, so it was pretty bad. But <laughs> I was really excited. I let out like a little Howard Dean Bia kind of thing, you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just was kind of pacing around the room after that, just like in disbelief that this had actually happened. It just felt like for so long this was something that was never going to happen for, for Padres fans. Um, so yeah, I mean, just another uh, another check mark off the list. Uh, we've got our cycle. We've got Slam Diego. We have a no hitter. Uh, next on the list, I think, is a World Series, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I do believe. I mean, we we've got. Um, if if memory recalls, I just one cycle, for, and that's Will Myers. Two, as far as I'm aware, just one cycle in 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 Padres history. Oh, we're, uh, we're, Will Myers, yeah, yes. the only one. Yes, I'm with you now. The only one that's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Matt. Yeah, we got no hitter, and yeah, I mean, you're right. You're right. Well, World Series is uh, is next up on the list. We've been there twice at this point. That is the uh, that is our Everest there. So, um, but it's so funny that you brought up kind of forgetting how to scream, or just the fact that you haven't screamed in a long. Because I I genuinely had the same experience in regards to that because I was. Um, we ordered some food, and so I was picking up some uh, wonderful oreganos. It was delicious. <laughs> and uh, the pizuki was, I mean, it, it has never tasted better, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> They've got nine locations throughout Greater Phoenix. doesn't matter that it was Phoenix. to go. Actually, I don't know. Yeah, it was two hours after I bought it, but man, it, it, uh, it had never tasted sweeter. But I was actually, I got there, as I was driving there, it was the top of the ninth. And then bottom of the ninth is occurring as I'm checking out. And I get in the car and I'm able to watch, I think, the last two outs in the car. And uh, so I just, I, I shout as loud as I can. And my voice gives out after about, like, 15 seconds of, like, just wooing. Like, I wasn't even, like, really screaming or, or anything intense. I'm just like, woo! But just really, you know, as loud as I can. And I'm like, oh, I have not, like, these have not been been exercised in a long time. Um, I had some, I, I actually had some, some trouble there, but it was, I mean, it was nuts. I was, I was just v- extremely happy, just laughing. Um, I, I like when I'm just so giddy that I'm just laughing, um, because something so wonderful is happening. And, and that was, that was really it. That was, that was just amazing. Oh man. I wish we, we could have been at Petco. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being at the, uh, gosh, the Jordan Lyles. There's a blast from the past game where he was yeah. he was i think it was against the rockies oh, if i'm man. if i'm not mistaken and yeah he went deep i think he went if it wasn't seven full it was like six and two thirds or something like that uh, but he was getting there and they were starting to get some buzz around the, around petco park so i mean i can't imagine how much fun it would have been to be in petco park for the no hitter but um, again it was on the road but against an al team so that much more legitimacy on it I mean, the Rangers aren't the greatest lineup in the AL, but it's still an AL squad, and they can they can still hit. Um, they've got guys like, uh, oh my gosh, why am I drawing a blank on his name? I have him on my fantasy team, Nate Lowe. I got it, okay. <laughs> and he's been he's been hitting pretty Same well. Here. So you know, it's not like they're just uh, you know an Orioles of the, of, of the past couple of years or uh, like the Indians this season. Uh, it's a legit lineup, um, so still pretty exciting. 
Um, but yeah, it would have been really cool for that to have been at Petco. But whatever, we'll take it. We'll take the no-hitter if we can get it. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I can't complain about anything on this at, at, at all. On this blessed day. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it is. This uh, April 9th will always be Joe Musgrove Day in my heart, in my <laughs> mind. Um, yeah, so Jordan Lyles, that was uh, April 20th, uh, 420. Nice. Nice. Uh, seven and one-third. Uh, he was perfect through seven and a third. And then uh, Trevor Story singled. That's right. In the eighth inning. That's right. And then I think it was Framel Reyes was out in the outfield and he couldn't get to the ball because he's Framel Reyes. Yes, that's right. It was a playable that's ball, right. but because it was Framel Reyes, he wasn't going to make that play. Yes. Josh Naylor would have made that play. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. But I do have some some Joe Musgrove stats uh, to go over. Just to kind of, I wanted to dig deep into last night's start and figure out what it was that made that appearance so amazing and and, and that start so effective. The first thing that caught my eye was the emphasis on using his secondary and his breaking pitches in particular. His slider was his most used pitch at 30.4% last night, um, and he had a 47% uh, CSW rate on his slider. The CSW, that is called strikes plus whiffs. So strikes from swinging and called strikes. Um, 47% of the time when he threw his slider, he had either a called strike or a whiff on that, which... That almost seems low. That, I think, for me... Based on the eye test. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the butter right there, the bread and butter right there. I mean, I when I say it, it seems low, it felt like he was getting more whiffs and called strikes than forty-seven percent. Like he was dialed in with the slider. It was wild. Yeah, I remember we both made comments yeah. on our on the Facebook Messenger chat where we were like, "This is fooling me," and I'm watching on TV. Like it was insane. It looked like it was gonna oh hit. It was gonna hit right-handed batters, and then it was dropping in on the inside part of the plate for a strike. It was just just incredible uh breaking action on the slider last night yeah no it, w- it was nuts um this was this was another point i had but kind of speaking to that the break in the pitches so he he had it seemed like he had his best stuff actually at the end of the game um his second to last pitch was a slider to isaiah kiner falefa and it was a called strike it had 21 inches of horizontal break, which was four more inches than any other slider that he threw, and by extension, any other pitch that he threw last night. So that's like coming so at second you. second to last pitch. Mid, I mean, mid-chest, Jesus. right? Like it's coming right <laughs> at you and breaking in for a strike. Yeah, it, it was It takes balls to throw a pitch nuts. like that, too. It's going to break like that. Yeah, yeah. It was. It, it's kind of interesting because Caratini he caught last night and he caught Darvish's Darvish's no hitter last season, which was the most recent no hitter before that one, and he kind of looked like Darvish because he it was huge reliance. He had he was like I was saying he was thirty percent with the slider, twenty five percent with the cutter, twenty five percent with the curve each. Um, so we use each of those twenty five percent of the time. Um, and on each of those with the cutter, he had a 29% um, CSW rate and 36 on the curve. Um, so each of the, I mean, just all three of those were absolutely working. Um, and he only threw his four-seamer 7.1% of the time through his last one in the fifth inning. And then from then on, it was either cutter, um, curve, 
slider. He might have mixed in a, a a sinker in there or a change, but it was just it was massive reliance on the on the secondary pitches, which I thought was was great, and they just could not hit it at all. <laughs> genuinely <laughs> yeah i mean he looked dialed in and i i was watching in some of the later innings so i didn't see how he looked early on in the game but by those late innings he was fully locked in i said it on my twitter i think i said it in our chat he looked like he could have gone 12 to me and kept kept pitching no hit ball like he did not look stressed he did not look like he was gassed at all like he i'm, I'm sure his velocity probably dipped from you know the, the beginning of the start but um the, the pitches looked in, obviously incredibly effective especially the breaking pitches like I was super thoroughly impressed. I, the, I, there's no, I, I can't find the words right now. Like there was, there's just not much you can say uh, other than, you know, hitting Joey Gallo, right? It really was a, a perfect outing. It was just, ah, it feels so cathartic to finally have it <laughs> as a Padres fan. I'm trying to like do the analytical <laughs> thing, but also like the emotions are, are catching up to me. It's so, such an exciting time. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just, absolutely nuts this curveball the first curveball he threw of the night which was his looks like his second pitch was 82.5 and his last curveball of the night and granted it's curved so it's i feel like it's a little different than fastballs when it comes to velocity reduction but it was 81.7 so 0.8 miles of an hour slower his last fastball that i was talking about in the fifth that was his 62nd pitch was at 93.6, started at 94.7. So, I mean, just, you know, mile an hour. So really right right in the zone there. But um, but what stuck out to me as I'm looking at it, and because he did focus on throwing so many uh, breaking pitches, his the, the, the pitches with the, the highest spin rate are thrown, and I'm just kind of going here from the top, eighth inning, seventh inning, eighth inning, eighth inning, fourth inning, uh, which was the hit-by-pitch cutter, (laughs) which apparently just had a little too much, a little too much spin on it, Um, and then eighth inning, ninth inning, sixth inning, fourth inning, and then seventh inning for his top 10 uh, highest spin rate pitches basically thrown last night, which, I mean, the majority of those are seventh inning and eighth inning, which is just nuts, so I mean, even... You know the velocity stayed true, but but the fact that he was getting the most spin and basically the most break late in the game is um, that is I mean that's not just cool to see, but it's and I'll kind of talk about him a little later. But that is a testament to Victor Caratini's game calling. It was very 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 smart to rely on those pitches late in the game, um, and they were increasingly effective as it went on um yeah 81 of his 112 pitches were under 90 miles an hour um so in the era of you know Strasburg and and Scherzer and Cole and DeGrom uh just crazy breaking stuff the entire time which was which was very well yeah I mean when you've got a slider that that breaks 9.1 inches more than the average slider in terms of horizontal movement. <laughs> you almost be crazy not to, to rely on it and really just hammer that pitch. And it's actually got it's so it's 9.1 inches more horizontal break than than league average and then looks like 2 inches of vertical movement greater than average. So drop, right? Yeah. It's just a fantastic pitch. Like I don't see why he throws anything else. <laughs> I guess cuz he can't always have it yeah. working the way he did last night, but my goodness. <laughs> And with the, with our new pitching coach, right? He's he's from the Yankees, so there that's Slider City. So I'm assuming yeah. we're going to see a lot more of that. 
Yeah, yeah, I was I was kind of thinking about that earlier today because I know that when we were looking, you know, when we were just kind of talking after the end of last offseason, we were thinking of, you know, offseason topics to talk about. And one idea that I had was, is Larry Rothschild the right pitching coach for the team? Um, and we didn't, I don't think we ended up actually really covering it too much, but with the um, guys that they have in both the, the rotation and the bullpen, I think that he is because of the amount of guys that we have who throw good sliders and good breaking pitches and, and, um, and that I think you know that's also kind of just a, a testament to the team building that AJ Preller has done, which seemingly was the last question I think people had about his talent. You know, and I think that was kind of more a couple years ago. But it was you know, can he build the team? He can he can acquire assets, but how is he as far as actually building it and assessing the weaknesses and building on those and building on strengths? And uh, Rothschild was a little bit of a question coming in especially because he was replacing Darren Balsley, who is a massive fan favorite and organizational favorite. But based on the results so far, definitely, definitely a, a smart hire by AJ Preller and co. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, yeah, I mean, when I heard we were taking on Rothschild, that was my first thought was, well, it looks like we're throwing a lot of sliders. <laughs> we're going to throw a lot of breaking pitches <laughs> because that's what they're all about. Um, they're, in fact, so reliant on the slider that they kind of broke Sonny Gray for a season because I don't think he lost. <laughs> Like throwing the slider as much as they wanted him to, um, so that gave me a little bit of fastball guy. God damn it! That's that seriously. That, I was it was weird. That was a strange time for for Sonny Gray, and it's good to see that he's been able to recover from it somewhat. Obviously, he's injured right now, but yeah, like that was one of the only things that really gave me pause. Was it's like, oh man, this seems like a guy who's gonna force all of his pitchers to do things the Larry Rothschild way. And if we have any guys that aren't in that mold, like it could be disastrous for a couple of guys, right? And so I almost wonder, like. You know, we've got we've got a pitcher who's got two pitches in Chris Paddock. Um, he doesn't really have a pitch that breaks. Like, I don't know, are we going to make Paddock be something that he's not? But honestly, like you said, we've got enough arms that are talented breaking pitch throwers that are, uh, I think, comfortable relying on their breaking stuff that I think he's obviously going to be a net positive, and it shows with obviously having the first perfect game in Padres history. So I, I obviously can't ever complain about Larry Rothschild ever again. So there you go. <laughs> Congrats, Larry. Yeah. yeah. Good job, Larry. You are uh, untouchable now. You're made. You did it. Congratulations. You it. Put your feet up. <laughs> You're a godfather. <laughs> so would you consider Victor Caratini the co-MVP of last night? I mean, you got it, right? There's two parts to the battery. Um, it, I don't know. Like, Musgrove was absolutely dialed in, so this, this wouldn't have happened if he wasn't as you know pitching as lights out as he was but you do need to call a good game or guys are going to be able to figure it out so um i mean credit to caratini for being able to lean on a breaking pitch that heavily and still be able to mix up locations well enough um, and be able to execute the game plan and, and and keep them guessing uh through three times around the order um technically plus right because you got that one extra one extra at bat because of uh the, the hit to joey gallo a uh, hit by pitch on joey gallo but again just yeah, I would say, gosh, co MVP is is tough, right? Because um, it really is such a pitcher centric um, accolade to have a no hitter. But I don't know, catchers are kind of underappreciated in, in 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 terms of game calling and framing and things like that. So you know what? Fuck it, I will say yes, co MVP for Victor Caratini <laughs> for the no hitter. No, I like it. I like it. I'm I'm 100 on that board as well, especially because this is the second one that he's caught. So clearly he's doing something right. 
Like, clearly he knows what he's doing. <laughs> so let, you know, we should do, we, absolutely, yeah, I think we should, uh, we should definitely give him some credit. And I was even thinking last night, like, I don't, and, and this is not against Luis Camposano, but I don't think this happens with Camposano behind the dish just because Caratini has that uh, experience and, and, and already has that, that knowledge and, you know, if we want to call it veteran leadership or whatever, you know, intangibles, tangibles, um, whatever it is, he's got it. Uh, so I, yeah, I absolutely give him a huge, uh, personally just give him a lot of credit for, for last night. Um, I don't want to, you know, bring in negativity uh, when, when things are so bright and nice right now. But the Padres activated Austin Nola today, who's what, 31, 32, something like that. Um, yeah. So he's still, and, and not a lot of years behind the dish. Uh, he is 31. He's going to turn 32 next December. So he's actually, yeah, he's eh, right around 31. Victor Caratini, only 27 years old, uh, not going to be 28 until August. Those are two very, very good starting catchers, um, but also a little bit on the older side, so we don't have a ton of trade value. We also have Luis Camposano, who is much younger, um, has a lot of trade value. I don't know I if there's necessarily a glaring weakness on this team, but is he suddenly much more expendable because we have two very, very good catchers ahead of him who are really not all that old? Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, if, if things continue as they are now, <clears throat> then yeah, I think Camposano's the odd man out just because he is unproven, um, but, you know, in the right way, right? So he's still young enough and new enough in the league that he does still have some shine on him. He has some trade value left. Whereas again, Nola and then Caratini are kind of known quantities and they're getting older. So it's, it's going to be a little bit tougher to move them. Um, so yeah, I mean, if we want to go down that road, I feel like if, if it's, if we're putting a spot where Camposano is out of options and we we're not going to carry three catchers because that's kind of dumb, then yeah, I, I think Camposano has to be the guy that gets traded in, in that uh, scenario. Yeah, I don't want to do it though. No, I don't and, wanna... and I th- <laughs> let's keep them all. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I and, and it's not, and that is in zero percent. Is that a I don't like Francisco Mejia kind of thing? Like he is, I think, in in as far as catching offensive talents go, I think he's as good as any of the talents right now. Um, I don't think he's at like a Buster Posey level or anything as far as like. Well, who is really offensive talent potential, <laughs> but like, um, what's his name? Uh, Wilson Contreras, maybe in like Chicago, you know, just like maybe like, you know, 260, 270, uh, you know, 20 home run potential. Yeah. I think that's definitely Luis Camposano. Um, I do think his, some of his framing needs a little bit of work and maybe with the automatic ump, that's not an issue at all. And it just, it doesn't matter. Um, but there is a tiny bit of Francisco Mejia there that I'm not loving, and we could have gotten much more for Francisco Mejia had we, you know, traded him before we showcased all of his flaws for for long stretches of time. Um, and I'm not saying that Camposano is going to go through that, but if you already have the the what is it, two birds in the hand, is the, is the one in the bush really worth more? We don't know. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little conservative and, and maybe it's a little reactionary. Maybe, considering I'm talking about the catcher who just got the Padres' first no-hitter last night, 
maybe I'm being a little reactionary. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> when 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 talking um, no, about it's, a potentially it's a generational I mean, catching kind of, prospect. It's fun to think about, right? Because then the, the natural follow-up question is, what do we think we can get, right? Like, who do, what's the what's the fair value for a guy like Camposano? Man, yeah, and and I and I never. I feel like I'm always bad with that kind of stuff, um, especially when it comes to prospects and trying to figure out, you know, what 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 that value is. There's not. I know there's like the online, the ESPN trade, like the NBA trade, little trade machine thing where it gives you those, you know, the salaries and all that jazz. And I feel like it gives you a good idea of like this is a good trade, this is a bad trade, but. It doesn't really exist for uh, for baseball. Sorry, my internet's being really, really shitty. So Same. if I go in and out, that's why. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I'm actually looking at, and I'm just trying to, I, w- I was kind of comparing in my head because I compared Camposano and Mejia. Um, Francisco Mejia, let's see. So this is, I should have looked at both years. Um, but for instance, in the Fangraphs 2017, top 100 prospects he was rated number 37 overall this was when he was with the indians so i that was like his last year so i think that was probably about when his when he was at his peak um he was rated number 37 overall in the Fangraphs top 100 by comparison camposano was rated number 27 that really means nothing because those are all different people <laughs> and it's different years but they are both in the top third, basically, of the of the top 100 prospects. So I think their general value and the fact that they're within about 10 estimated spots of each other, that does... Yeah, okay, so yeah, Mejia in 2018 went as high as number 17. Um, he was the number 17 overall rated prospect for Fangraph. So he was rated even higher than, than Camposano is right now in 2021. And I, I don't really know if Camposano is ever going to be rated higher than this. And, I mean, maybe he does, you know, maybe maybe he continues breaking out and, and, and gets a little bit higher. But he's kind of already bumping that, that major league timeline. So I, I have some concerns, <laughs> I guess. It's just, you know, I, I don't want to be negative right now, but I have a couple concerns about relying a ton on a catching prospect. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, counterpoint. In 13 plate appearances through 2021, Francisco Mejia is sitting 333, 417, 444 for a, uh, what's that, 289, no, sorry, 369 Woba, 142 weighted runs created plus. He is crushing it right now in, in Tampa Bay. So, I mean, there's there's some upside, especially if we think Camposano is a comparable prospect to Mejia, which I think is fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, you do risk the fact that he's got to kind of figure things out at the big league level first, and that's going to create you know, 2020 Francisco Mejia, where he hit 077, 143, 179 for a negative 11 WRC plus over 42 plate appearances. So it's, I get it. It's kind of a, it's a dice throw, right? And catcher's a pretty important position as we saw last night on both sides of the ball. Yeah, no, for for sure, for sure. And I think maybe the difference between Camposano and Mejia, because there did seem to be some, um, stylistic differences i guess is what i would say in 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 the kind of play that francisco mejia wanted to do and what the padres wanted him to do um from what it seemed he wanted to be a bit more free swinging and they wanted him to be a bit more selective um seemed to kind of be the issue as well with luis arias uh so maybe camposano fits what they want more and that is why they like him better i think i mean and i've i think i said this on twitter before but i think Tucapita Marcano is what they wanted Luis Arias to be. 
um you know he's kind of doing more what they wanted um or what they were envisioning for a second base prospect maybe Camposano is more what they were envisioning for for a catcher and maybe his approach at the plate is more what they were looking for um I just I just personally never ever ever have faith in catching prospects and I've been I've been on record about that but <laughs> but uh but but yeah just not super super excited about any catching prospect um but I sincerely hope that he exceeds my expectations and all of our expectations and is an MVP candidate that would be lovely that I would I would want nothing more than that so do you have an, like an unsung hero like kind of the guy who you felt saved the day but but people aren't really necessarily talking about him I really like the uh what was it there's a good play by Will Myers um that was in the eighth I believe where it was a it was a screaming line drive um that he he caught it was it ended up being fine but it was really scary watching it in the moment was it Cronenworth who made the catch there was another like really hot line drive that was going out towards the middle infield I think it was Cronenworth who made that catch that that was in the ninth inning I believe that just about gave me a heart mm-hmm. attack so I'd say an unsung hero there and then um Hassan Kim was really great too over there at shortstop um playing I mean I think he's a natural second baseman so playing a little bit out of position and he had it locked down um and was making great throws to first from there um so I, I think everybody really played a great part um if I had to pick one I, I think I'd say Hassan Kim because again he was playing out of position and he's really new to the team to begin with so to be on that big of a in that big of a moment and to just you know be firing right at the uh, the first baseman's chest who was pro far by the end of the game because of some switching I believe um that that was awesome so uh, that's I think that's my pick right there for uh, if there was an unsung hero it was probably Hassan Kim. Dang, you're good. That was mine too. Nice. Um, I I called him my unsung hero. Un- <laughs> nice. Maybe I picked up on yes. that. Yes. <laughs> um. So so yeah, he had in in there was one in particular where he dove to his left in the fourth. Um. To he saved a single from Isaiah Kiner Falefa, who was. My goodness, he was, he is there at, uh, I almost called him by my nickname for him, um, he was there Astrubal Cabrera, I almost called him Astrubal, um, because I love calling him that, um, but he was just a constant, like, oh my god, almost a hit from Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, um, who plays literally everywhere, I, I like that guy a lot, um, and, um, but he had in the fourth, there was almost a single from Kiner Falefa. Um, Hassan Kim snagged it, threw him out. That had a 540 expected batting average, um, just based on the on the exit velocity and location and everything like that. So that was that was a great snag from Hassan Kim. The one and and uh, oh darn, looks like Joel and I's Skype call shut down, which I am guessing is my internet because. I gotta say, Cox Communications. So Cox Communications used to be good, and I really don't know what happened, but they have fallen off the map so much. I I don't. I am almost going to get CenturyLink. Oh Jesus! Because that's the only other option out in Phoenix, and that I think terrible. there was just like bad press about CenturyLink for so long, so that no one got it. But I'm pretty sure at this point they're better than Cox. Cause this is pathetic. Yeah, my internet was pretty. I got gigabit. Too. I got gigabit. <laughs> you have up to gigabit. Huh? You have up to gigabit. Up to yeah, up to <laughs> fair, 
Fair, yeah. As long as everyone else's computer is off and disconnected, please, if everyone else could unplug their modems, and I'm going to plug mine in, and we'll just go on some kind of rotation, and then we can each get gigabit, maybe, at 3 a.m. at some point. <laughs> I'm going to turn on a fan, because I am starting to sweat. You got it. Like the great Shakira, Stoyaki. <laughs> so, oh, so what I was going to say is... And I know exactly which line out you were talking about in the eighth. So it was it was Jose Trevino. Uh, this was yeah, it was a line out, ninety eight point four mile an hour exit velocity. It had a six eighty expected batting Oof. average, um, and and Will Myers snagged that bad boy. So that was really cool. I have noticed that expecting batting average really it's and because it's Statcast and I, I understand. It's very much based on EV, probably the speed and the launch angle and everything of of the ball. And so you'll watch some where they're like, "It had a 670 expected batting average," and it's a line out right to the right yeah. fielder. Yeah, he didn't have to move <laughs> and you're much. Like the right fielder just happened to be there, but like that ball was screaming. Yeah. <laughs> that was that one. Like, and and it was it was kind of tough to get for. And I think I think that was Myers that got that yeah. one. There was one as well in the ninth, um, and, and I wanted to bring that one up. David Dahl lined out to Jake Cronenworth, and that was another one where Cronen, Cronin was kind of right there, and it, it almost looked like it was going to go over his head, and it just dropped perfectly. That had an 890 expected batting average, um, but just Cronenworth was just right in the perfect position, and it, just, it went right to him. So that was, that was great. Um, there were some absolute... Like just just a couple heart attack. Those two really in particular were, were the kind of the heart attack ones. We're like, oh god, <laughs> it's it's maybe over. And uh, thank God, man, that defense is just with Tatis out. The de- I mean, and it's not because of him, but like even with him out, the depth on this team, you, you're you're able to have the you know the the infield defense to get a no hitter from a guy who had a lot of ground balls. That's amazing. Trying to see how many ground balls. Yeah, sorry. If you asked me a question or were trying to prompt me there, I don't know. <laughs> it might, no, that's okay. My connection's super shitty right now, so I don't know what you're talking about for the last 30 seconds. So I, I can't oh, answer no intelligently. Worries, no worries. No, just basically that the, the, the infield defense, like even with Tatis out, who, you know, a guy that when he's on is absolutely capable of gold glove. <sighs> Asshole drivers. Welcome to Phoenix. <laughs> but, uh, like, even when, you know, when, when he's on, it's gold glove defense. But even with him out, like, you still get a you still get a no-hitter from a guy who was, you know, getting a lot of ground outs, which is a testament to the depth that this team has. Absolutely, yeah. The defense looked on point last night. Um, I feel very comfortable with the, uh, the defensive capabilities of our infield. Uh, outfield defense, well, we got Grisham back, so I feel good about the outfield, too. Um, so that's huge to be able to feel warm and fuzzy about our, our uh, infield defense without our best player. I mean, granted, Tatis isn't the the same defensive star that he is on on offense, but he's still a supremely talented uh, defender. Um, and really, he's kind of figuring out some of those youthful mistakes that he was making in his rookie season. And I think a lot of the throwing errors that we've seen up to this point in 2021 are probably chalked up to the fact that his shoulders, you know, bothering him. I think he might be compensating for a little bit of pain um so i don't think uh, we can't completely throw it out but i mean i don't think it's the the norm 
for him. So uh, again, with uh, you know missing your shortstop is usually a really big deal defensively, and I felt perfectly comfortable watching them against the Rangers last night. Um, so I think that bodes really well for how we can continue to move on um, with without Tatis um, if he were to miss more time. Although our next topic <laughs> suggests we might not need to worry about that too much longer. That's right. I know. Yeah. And of course, this um, link closed out on me. I had a story open from AJ Casavell from today that was actually discussing how some guys who we've been missing this season may very well be be close to returning. And uh, he was actually so last night or yesterday, just kind of in particular. I don't think this was in the night, but uh, while. Joe Musgrove was, you know, doing the dirty to the Rangers. <laughs> Denelson Lamette uh, pitched into the fourth inning, so three plus innings um, of a of a game at the team's alternate training site. He was actually playing against, so it was Padres versus Dodgers, like alternate site players, basically. Um, so it wasn't just Padres people. So um, he threw fifty six pitches, pitched into the fourth inning, and uh, Jace Tingler said it's possible that uh, he could pitch during the four-game series in Pittsburgh this upcoming wow. week. And uh, so so pretty close there. Yeah, said he said he had an overall really good day. And uh, so he's basically just said, you know, most important thing was he was feeling good. They're going to see when they bring him back. But, but you know, could potentially be them, be then. And, and AJ notes here as well, so he says, uh, Lamette's return could necess- necessitate, what a fun word, a duel between Chris Paddock and Adrian Morahone for the final rotation spot. But the Padres could also carry six starters temporarily in an effort to ease Lamette back into action. Um, and so... You know, he's kind of bringing it down to either Paddock or Morahone there. But I do wonder if they could kind of piggyback the two. Um, so maybe have not not Paddock and Morahone, but Morahone and Lamette. Uh, because it seems as though they're limiting Morahone's innings to about three per start. And it seems as though they're going to want to limit the amount of innings from... Uh, from Lamette as well. So to me, it just seems like it would be smart for the Padres when Denelson Lamette comes back, instead of having Chris Paddock and Adrian Morahone duel out for the final rotation spot, keep both of them in there, but also add in Lamette and have Morahone and Lamette kind of piggyback each other. So you can kind of slowly build up Lamette at three innings, you know, per appearance, three, four innings, and you have Morahone go ideally three innings per appearance. You know, either one of them can start. Really doesn't doesn't matter. Um, and you've got ideally seven innings there already. You know, already in the books, seven potentially eight innings in the books. And then you know what you bring in Ryan Weathers for a couple innings, or you bring in a couple relievers to throw an inning apiece. So you're not really straining the bullpen so much, and you're able to get Morahone and Lamette innings. So I don't know. What do you think, Joel? Would you rather have Lamette return to his spot and either Paddock and Morahone duel duel it out, or do you want you know would you prefer to kind of see Lamette kind of piggyback 
maybe Morahone or maybe maybe even Snell since we're not letting him go six yet. I mean, I think it all depends on Chris Paddock, right? So if he can show some signs of life that he can kind of figure this out, then yeah, I think that makes that a much more viable solution to have Morahone and um, Lamette sort of tag team it um, and uh, stitch together a couple of three inning outings to make you know six or seven innings, right? Um, I really like the idea of doing that. I like the idea of being able to ease Lamette back in uh, a couple innings at a time. We're not pushing him too hard. We keep the pitch count down, which obviously is going to be a huge concern after an elbow injury. Um, but again, I, I think it all comes down to Paddock. If he's just dog shit for you know an extended period of time, then like we're going to have no choice but to to take him out of the rotation and and give that spot to to Morahone, and then we see where it goes, right? Uh, or you know, I guess. Lamette would take the four spot and then uh, Morahone would go in the five or however it would need to happen in order to get Lamette rested enough to be ready to go, right? So it might be four or five or it might just be completely out of turn with the, the standard rotation and we figure it out from there. But um, yeah, I feel like Paddock is really the X factor in a decision like that as to whether or not you wanted to, again, try something a little fancier um, with the, the tag team option or if you know you just kind of push somebody out and, and make another spot for Lamette to slot in. Or, shit, you could do, like, a six-man rotation, too, if you wanted, um, which it's, it's not as unheard of as it used to be. Um, it's kind of spreading out throughout the league. I think the Angels use a six-man rotation um, with Otani, uh, and there's I think there's a couple others, too, that are uh, eluding me right now. So there's a couple different ways to approach it. But, yeah, I like the idea of uh, what you, you said, where you kind of um, you get three innings from one, four innings from the other, and then, bam, you've got seven innings uh, out, of, out of two guys, and you can kind of spare your bullpen a little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the nice thing is they got a lot of options. They have a lot of different guys that can throw in there. So either way, you know, they can be conservative with him. They can rest him. And I don't think the team is, you know, that much worse off for it. I mean, we got a guy that, that's thrown a no-hitter. So, I mean, that's pretty good. Cy Young winner. We got, what, two Cy Young winners. We got a guy who's thrown a no-hitter. So, you know, we're, we're sitting pretty. I'm not going to lie. Knock, 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 knock on wood. Uh, <laughs> the next item. And this is another one from that from that same uh, uh, article today from AJ Casaville, but just kind of the most recent update. Um, so Fernando Tatis Jr., who's been on the injured list with the shoulder subluxation, I think that's how you say it, uh, yeah. basically dislocated shoulder um, from that very intense swing that he took. And uh, but he took batting practice and went through fielding drills on Saturday afternoon. Um, so he is, he's been kind of slowly ramping up the intensity of his workouts there. And uh, Tingler did not rule out the possibility that Tatis could return after the minimum 10-day stint. Um, and that would have him return for the three-game series against the Dodgers. Uh, that's starting this Friday. Um, they are, from, from and again from the story, um, you know, Padres being pretty precautious with him. Tatis understandably wants to get right back on the field, but uh, but uh, but they are they are going to be cautious with him. Um, which I mean, I you know I feel like we're probably kind of on the same boat. Like just be as cautious you know as, as you can there. Why rush him back? Um, we're we're playing above five hundred. We just had a no hitter, and <laughs> you know I, I don't know. I'm I'm still on cloud nine, so maybe I'm just too <laughs> I'm too positive right now. But. Uh, I just don't. Why would you rush him back? It just it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Agreed. I don't. I don't get it. Um, I, I guess what I will say is I, I hope Tatis has like an independent physician that he's going to to get his shoulder looked at. Um, although you know I, I don't know the, the the motives of team doctors. 
I've seen it phrased but or framed both ways, right? Like, of course, they're going to be pushed to try to get the player back on the field, but it's like, well, if you got a guy who just signed a 14-year deal and he's supposed to be the franchise for you know the next decade plus, like they're going to be super cautious with him. That's kind of the other side of the coin there. Um, but yeah, I, I that's what I kind of feel like. It's like if 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 he's coming back and doctors are clearing him, I again, I, I would hope he has some sort of independent doctor of his own that's taken a look and said, yeah, you, you're fine. Like take it easy for you know a couple of weeks and you can get it back out there. Because um, to me, when you hear things like tear and labrum, um, even if the word slight is in there to qualify it, I, it still scares the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Even if it's his non-throwing arm, like he still uses that shoulder to, to hit, obviously. That's how he hurt it. I don't know. I, I just hope the, the, the folks that are looking at that shoulder really know what they're doing and he's he's not doing something that's going to mess him up longer term, right? I don't want him to turn into a Griffey Jr. before he's even able to ac- accumulate Griffey Jr. stats. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think I'm definitely on the same page as you. I would rather be a little bit more cautious than what we're seeing right now, uh, but I gotta just you know kind of put faith and, and trust in the the medical staff of the Padres and again whoever Tatis is seeing because I'm sure he's got his own doctor that he goes and sees independently to to rely on them to say you know he's good he can play then I mean we got that's all we got right that's all we can go on. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean just. You know, get get as much of a consensus as you can, and and as much information as you can, and be as cautious as you can, because it's a long ass season. As as they've been on record saying many times with regards to the depth and the pitching rotation, it is a 162 game season again. We've got a long time. It is April 10th. There is absolutely no reason to rush him right now. Um, this is the perfect time to to rest and be at 100. Um, so you know, keep resting up and. Ideally, this team is at full strength in October. That's all I care about. What do we think the odds are of uh, off-season shoulder surgery? Mm. Man, I'll, I'll, so I'm gonna I'm gonna slightly change that question, <laughs> and we can I guess we can answer both questions. Do you think it's more likely that he has sol- shoulder surgery, or is it more likely that Lamette ends up needing Tommy John surgery? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> These are the kind of questions that we're used to as San Diego Padres fans. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Let's bring us back down to earth. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> well, to tap back into my, my San Diego cynicism, um, maybe they both implode <laughs> at the same time. There we go. <laughs> Lamette throws a pitch. Oh, my gosh. Blows out his elbow. Yep. <laughs> uh, Tatis lays out to try to make a play, screws up his shoulder, and they both go out for the year. <laughs> Definitely, definitely and it will happen against the dodgers to lose the game yes <laughs> oh man yeah i don't know if I had to that pick is how it goes if i had to pick one that's more likely i feel like it's more likely that lamette's elbow is going to continue to have problems because i've seen the results of the platelet rich plasma sort of treatments and it seems to be a crapshoot so sometimes it works out fine but a lot of the times it ends up just being a tommy john surgery down the road so yeah i mean yeah, it is a slight labral tear. So, yeah, I'd have to pick Lamette there if you, if you had to make me bet on that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think I'm I'm in the same boat on that one. Um, it does seem as though the, the shoulder dislocation, they can they have, there's some more options. Labral tear, kind of tough to fix without surgery. Um, Go figure. Difficult to do. My, my wife actually tore her hip labrum four years ago or so. It's about to be four years, like in a few months. And it's, I mean, I know shoulder's different, but, like, damn, that is a very vital uh, part of your body. And when it tears, it is, um, 
very disruptive on the things that you would like to do and also very painful if you can imagine (laughs) (laughs) so we'll move on now uh because we gotta we gotta roll out of here pretty soon but uh we'll we're, we're basically done you know going crazy about the no hitter and getting excited about the return of Lamette and Tati. So we'll transition into the next part of the show, which is, as always, our fatherly advice. Oh, baby, Hassan Kim just hit a solo home run Woo! in the top of the fifth. Padres tie the Rangers 3-3. Three to three. You love to see it. You love to see it. Hassan Kim, first major league home run, also against the Rangers. The Rangers are our first for everything. If I you guys love don't think this is destiny, Rangers. like... <laughs> Huh? I said, I love playing the Rangers. We got to keep playing them. I love playing the Rangers. <laughs> the, the the Grand Slam, the first no-hitter, Hassan Kim's first home run, Jace Tingler's from the Rangers, Jerickson Profar is from the Rangers, Darvish, AJ Preller. If you guys don't think this is destiny and this year is special, I don't know what to tell you. I just don't know what to tell you. There's something in the air tonight, oh, Lord. <laughs> Oh, that got me good. But uh, but yeah, so it is it is time for for fatherly advice, and my fatherly advice um, is, and I was talking about it with you before the show. It was something I had the pleasure of enjoying last night. In addition, and and really in conjunction with the no hitter at the liquor store by my house, they had some delicious Pizza Port Brewing Company beer, and this is the Chronic Ale, their Amber Ale. I haven't had it before, but I, I've had it for the first time. Got a nice little six-pack there, and it is damn delicious. It is almost sugary sweet, but not sugary. It's just, it's just very sweet. Um, reminds me a bit of another beer I've recommended on here, which is the, I think now at this point, it's the Huss Brewing Company Orange Wheat Ale. It used to be the Papago uh, Brewing Company, but but uh, but that one is very... It, it tastes like an orange creamsicle, that one does. This one is in that ballpark it's not super orangey but it is sweet and delicious without being too sweet um so we definitely recommend it the chronic ale from pizza port brewing company uh enjoy it as you're mowing the yard or doing whatever dadly stuff that you're doing this weekend that's an excellent recommendation how about you joel do you have a fatherly advice yeah yeah but just a comment on yours like i i love really drinkable beers like that i'm very much against the like let's make this shit as bitter as we can get it like What's the solution here? We need to add more hops. Like IPA <laughs> revolution that's going on with beers. Like I know a lot of people like that, but I can't. I can't do it. Um, I've got I've got a sweet tooth to begin with, so um, to drink yeah. really really bitter beer is just not my thing. Um, so yeah, to hear like you, that that's really sweet, I actually want to try that that chronic ale. Um, and then the, I, I don't know if I can get anything from Papago Brewing Company out here in San Diego, um, but yeah, something that tastes like an orange cream skull sounds like that's right up my alley. So. Um, that's cool. That's cool to get some drinkable beers out there. I like that. A lot of pilsners and stuff like that. But anyway, um, gosh, for my fatherly advice, I will recommend, I will. Oh, go ahead. Uh You you have a comment there. Oh yeah. No, I was going to say, I I will say, thankfully, I think the IPA like dominance is finally over. And I think sours might be having a time right now. Which isn't really sweet. It's kind of the opposite, but but you stuff. know sometimes it's like opposites attract. And when it's hot, a, a sour beer. Oh my goodness, I love it. <laughs> give that a shot. It, you get me a nice like a like a salty, um, a salty limey sour beer. Mm, 
so good so crisp (laughs) (laughs) um so my recommendation um i'm gonna go with an instagram account um I, i like to follow i don't do a whole lot of activity on instagram mainly i use it for looking at memes and also stalking people from high school just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, so I'm going to recommend a, a meme account. That. It's called uh, Influencers in the Wild. Um, I, I think it's relatively popular, but it's it's excellent. So if you think of your, your typical like Instagram influencer posts, videos, pictures, that kind of thing, um, this is, from the most part, it's people from a distance that are recording influencers trying to get like the perfect shot or the perfectly framed video. Um, and just that, <laughs> that change in perspective and change in the context is just hilarious. And I highly recommend it. Uh, Minutes of entertainment. Uh, Influencers in the wild is my recommendation for this week. Oh my gosh, I I, I love stuff like that. <laughs> Especially with some of those like, and and it's not even just those, but but even like nature shots or just different things. You just see this shot and you're like, that's so you know vast and amazing and. It, and then if you look at a picture of the person taking it, you're like, it's just this little person taking it with this little camera. And it's just this normal ass thing. Yeah. It's good behind the scenes, peek oh behind the curtain gosh. stuff. I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. That is, uh, I'm going to have to take a look. I'm not on Instagram too much, but that is a good way to stalk uh, people from high school. So I'm going to try that out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! But uh, but yeah, that is that is uh, that is it for the majority of the show today. Um, if you uh, would like to reach out to us and and let us know what you think about the show, or um, if there's something we're not talking about that you would love us to talk about, um, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Dads Talking Dads. As well, we are. Uh, you can email us dadstalkingdads at gmail.com. Um, don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcasting app that you like to use. Uh, tell your friends. Don't forget to rate and review. We love five stars, it makes us so happy in Absolutely. our hearts. Um, but, uh, but that is it for this episode of Dads Talking Dads. I'm Johnny. I'm Joel. Thank you again for listening. Congratulations, Joe Musgrove. Good job, El Cajon. We'll be back next week or sometime soon with more Padres talk. And as always, go Padres. Go Padres. Go Joe Musgrove. Oh, my God. That was impressive. I'm impressed. Good work. <laughs>